0: Before we begin, let's talk about Yahoo! Fantasy Football. Yes, fantasy football season is just around the corner. Don't just be a fantasy football commissioner. Rule as a Yahoo! Fantasy Football commissioner. Trust me, I know. It's my fantasy football league of choice. I've done it for I don't know how many years I've done fantasy. Yahoo! is the number one fantasy site for commissioners. We spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience so you can get your squad together and rule the season. And when the season is over, as commish, you pick the punishments. So what do you say, Kamish? It's time for you to rule. Start your league now at yahoo.com slash Dave Chang Fantasy Football. That's yahoo.com slash Dave Chang Fantasy Football. And now the Dave Chang Show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network and presented by Major Domo Media. I'm very excited about today's guest, Lena Waithe. She has her fingers on so many different projects, most recently The Shy, and she won an Emmy as a comedy writing. I think that Lena is one of the smartest most articulate people out there and she inspires me in so many different ways i don't even think she knows that so um, a huge fan and i can't wait to sit down and chat with her i'm honored to have lena waith on as our guest today thank you for coming on the pod of course
1: man i I think you are
0: incredibly important to the generation today to have someone like you make the art that you do and thank you brother you got a crazy deep understanding of shit. And, Thank and it's, you. Is it's real. And I remember when Alan and Aziz told me, like, this woman, Lena, is badass and it's she's so going to change the whole thing. Wow. And I was like, cool, I'm going to definitely check this out and follow your career and learn everything that you did before. And you worked your ass off to get to this point. Oh, absolutely. Number one, mm-hmm. you, d- you were PA. Yep. You worked for people that you thought that you could learn from. Absolutely. Any kind of job. Mm-hmm. And along the way, you were just being you. And I find that, and I'm sure you get this a lot too, where people are like, hey, I want to be like Lena. I want to be successful. Right. But like, what is it that she's doing? And I, I want to tell people, I think, even met you for the first time, mm-hmm. you're just being you. And yeah. I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand.
1: Yes, it is. It is. And, I, and it's, it's just because I see it on Twitter all the time. Like, oh, I want to be the Latino Lena Waite, Or I want to be the Asian Lena All these things. Or I, I want to be like Lena Waite. And 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 my thing is, as 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 cheesy as it sounds. It's funny because I used to see Oprah, people used to always say that to her, you know, after the show. They would say, I want to be like you. And she would always say, but if you were like me, then the world would be missing out because whatever you are, we need that as well. And I think that was always so eloquent, and I try my best to sort of do a version of that with people because I think there's an element of what they're saying is like, I want to be successful, I want to create things, I want to make stuff, and I want to put it out there, and I want to be my authentic self. And I think that's a better way of looking at it because I think when you so when people do that they sometimes will stare at a person and try to mimic you know their steps and their moves but my journey is so unique and so I I couldn't have called half this stuff. Like if you would have told me I was gonna be an actor, if you would have told me I was gonna, you know, be in a Spielberg movie, if you would have told me I would have won an Emmy before I was 35, I wouldn't have believed you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there's a part of me that has to also just sort of hold on and go along for the ride. So I kinda want people to hold on and experience their ride. Cause it's like everybody's on a roller coaster, but no one's roller coaster is the same. Right. So I think for me, I think that I want people to embrace who they are. And I think if I can be a light at the end of any tunnel, that that's the light is that I'm telling you what. Every, whatever your freak flag is like wave it with pride because everybody's been given gifts you know I think Jay-Z said that really really well he was like we all have stuff he was like Am he's like me and my wife are not aliens okay he's like Michael Jackson was an alien he's like you may think that we are he said but we aren't he's like, we all are made up of the same shit and we all were given gifts he said there's just a select few that look at that gift that stare at it that you know want to shape it and craft it and then share it with the world and most people what happens is they suppress press the gift and go I got to take care of my family I got to do this I got to work or I have trauma that I can't even you know appreciate the gift I was given so we're a lucky few we're part of a very exclusive club that gets to do whatever the fuck we want to do you mm-hmm. know and it's a fun life but it also comes with this trials and tribulations like the fact that you have to deal with the fact that you are a public figure the fact that you are you know that you have to kind of watch your step the fact that there are a bunch of there are a lot more eyeballs on us than there are on everybody else so we don't get to just kind of lead a quote-unquote normal existence and I think that that is the difference it's that if you want to do it, you have to sacrifice a ton. You got to give it everything you got. And sometimes you got to do shit that you don't necessarily want to do to get to where you're trying to go. And there's just a lot of people that aren't willing to do that.
0: And before you take that chance, like in cooking, there's a lot of younger cooks, men and women that want to, they got into cooking because they want to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because I broke off from the traditional path pretty early on four years of cooking. Uh But, like, I was a student of it. I I poured myself Mm -hmm. into it. And Mm -hmm. one reason why I did something a little bit different in terms of the normal trajectory is I was like, oh, man, that's already been done. And I'm not going to be very good at what those guys Hmm. have been doing. Mm -hmm. And while I admire it, I want to find what's meaningful to me. And I went down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And you're at a place where you can take chances. Uh You are creatively at, like, you're just at a crazy awesome place. But when I mentioned earlier that you worked really hard to get there, you— like you were trying to master not just writing, but everything else that might be in film and TV.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's always interesting when I see someone else that's like at that power, mm-hmm. it didn't come overnight. No. And while you, this might, the success has happened since mm-hmm. Master of None. Mm-hmm. That's a long time coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that yeah, from yeah, even yeah. watching TV as a little kid? Oh to- my God. Well, has a thing, I, as a child, you know, I was obsessed. You know, I was always sitting in front of the, and I always joke because I was, I was actually raised in the two parent home, my mom and the television. Uh, but I think because of that, I had the freedom to, because, you know, my mom was raising two kids. So I was out of Chicago. You know, yeah, we live with my grandmother, but she had to work a bunch of jobs. My grandmother sat around and watched TV a lot. So I really got a chance to sit in front of the TV. And I watched everything from the Mary Tyler Moore show to Saved by the Bell to Fresh Prince of Bel Air to the Cosby show to A Different World to Family Matters, you know. And then as I got older, my taste got to be a little bit, you know, Oh, even more sophisticated so I would watch stuff like The Sopranos and I would watch things like West Wing and then obviously graduated to Grey's Anatomy and then um, big fan of Sex in the City you know people think of it as fluff but it actually was really well constructed and beautifully written um, and how they wrote relationships and, and obviously Carrie Bradshaw is an iconic character so I think to me I was always drawn to characters and, and what they did for a living and how they reacted to people and so that to me I didn't know it then but I was learning about characters and, and that's all that really mattered because if you think about television, when people and you say, hey, name, your fa- name me your favorite storyline from the Murray Tyler Moore show. I don't think people could come up with one, but you can name me at least three characters from the show. You right. can say Lou Grant, you can say Rhoda, and you can say Sue Ann Evans, you can say Murray, you can say, you know, Ted, you can say Ted Baxter. Because they just, the, the characters are what matters. And so I just really learned very early on that also I was surrounded by characters. My mother, my grandmother, my who I then turned them into characters on, on Thanksgiving episode. But that's what really drove it. And I remember just like, you know, when I moved to—I decided I want to go to school for it. You know, I went to Columbia College, studied writing, producing, and television. I think that's a big reason why I can be 34 and be sitting across from you right now, because I didn't get a late start. A lot of people turn, are my age and decide—they're living in, say, Kentucky, and they're like, I want to be a screenwriter. And they start from there. You so know what you mean? feel school was— I, it was very, I think, important to my development and um, and me just sort of getting a head start, you know. And so then, because also they had a thing called semester in LA, where you could literally go to Los Angeles and do your a semester of school there, like on a lot writing spec script. So I did that my last semester of school. So I was out here in LA, you know, writing a spec script, like interning, and then I went home to graduate really quick, came back and sort of hit the ground running. But I also had a mindset of I'm gonna conquer this town. I was like, I'm gonna come out there. and I'm gonna fucking conquer it. And I, maybe it was my Chicago spirit. Maybe it's because I didn't have a plan B. But I was like, I'm gonna go conquer that city. And and it was it's been a long journey. I mean, I remember sitting in my little you know, studio apartment in the Valley, like watching. I remember I used to work at Blockbuster. I had a, I had a job at Blockbuster in Chicago that I transferred to Los Angeles. <laughs> and I was a, I remember I never get on. It was on Ventura. Of course, it's not. It doesn't exist anymore. But I worked at that Blockbuster for a couple, like for a year on Ventura. You know what I'm saying? Like renting just so I could rent DVDs for free and like watch. And I would always rent TV stuff. You know, yeah, I watch movies sometimes, but I would go home and just like watch hours and hours of House and Sex and the City and West Wing and just like really just, it was like music to me. And um and and so yeah, that, that's what I used to always do. I was so obsessive. um And I think it's a big reason why, I like, I, obviously I made a character in The Shot, a chef, because I want, I love chefs and I love cooking and I love food and I love, sh- you know, those documentaries. But I think to me, I was like, I don't want to be meta. I don't want to make him a writer. I was like, what's something very close to what I do? And I think a chef was something that really made sense for Brandon because I was like yeah I was like I always tell people like if you swap out cooking for writing that's me dating somebody from from the right side of the tracks you know with the stuff the dysfunctional family stuff um and and it's also very inspirational to me too like um like chef documentaries like one of which uh, has watched 42 grams which you've probably it's so seen sad. it's so sad but he 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 almost he sacrificed everything and that's the thing I don't want to do I don't want to you know try to be great but be standing you know on top with of nothing. the hill by myself
0: yeah and that's—I on think for, for a couple of years, I think I might have been on that same trajectory. Mm. So when I watched that movie, it was really hard for me because yeah. I was like, shit, like, I didn't realize that I've grown, mm. but I've grown. And, yeah. you know, I've heard you talk about your partner, too. I, I've been—and I'm learning how to— I think marriage for me has made me realize what a selfish asshole I can be. Same. And, I'm not
1: even married yet. I'm engaged. Yeah. But I still, you know, having a dog has made me realize. Yeah, that too. The dog has been
0: important for my life. Me um, too. Where I think that I'm being selfless all the time, I've realized, mm-hmm. oh man, I'm, I'm actually being <laughs> incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. And part of this is really learning. Like, I'm just... Being in marriage has been fantastic, and it's not nearly as, like, tough. It's tough, but in different ways for me is I want to be committed, so I got to be the best version of myself, which I often am not.
1: Look, man, that's the most real shit somebody done said to me ever. <laughs> like, that's, like—because—and that's the thing. It's, like, I think I'm growing into a mature adult, I think having—being engaged and, like, having a like literally a puppy—the puppy's, like, three months old, and, like, it's, the, it's that part of growing up, which isn't always glamorous and isn't always fun. But I know that it's necessary, and there right. are times where I'm, like, in a quiet moment, and I kind of realize, like, oh, this is good. Like, this is good that I, you know, was pushed in this way to be a better version of myself. So I totally get what you're saying. Is your
0: fiance in the industry of...
1: She is, yeah. She uh, met her... She used to work at Paramount. She was an exec at Paramount for like five years. And she and I met there there on a general meeting. Um, uh, But it's funny, but there were no like, you know, sparks flying or anything like that. She was a quote-unquote heterosexual person before she and I started dating. So it was very... You know, platon- Like there was no w- weirdness, or whatever. Which I think is a big reason why we end up being together. Because I wasn't trying my usual shit uh, with her. We just I was just being myself, and and so I'm really grateful that she kind of fell for me as I was being my complete and utter self. But anyway, she then recently went on to uh, she now runs Michael B. Jordan's production company, oh, Outlier cool. Production. So, so yeah, she's very much in the business. She, you know, she's sort of on the other side of the business. But I think now with her working with Michael, she definitely. I think she she's now on a on the seller side rather than the buyer side so she has a little bit more understanding and compassion for what you know I've been going through in terms of walking in everywhere and begging people to buy my shit but um <laughs> but I think that definitely helps because it's a weird business it's a, a a a big life that I sometimes have to live um but also too the great thing is like she's not you know she's not like jazzed by it, you know what I mean it's like she definitely helps to keep me grounded because when we're at the premiere for like a movie I'm in for directed by Steven Spielberg or we're at the premiere for Master of None or we're at like a or, or we're in New York and we we got invited to a, a Prada fashion show or, or me her kissing me goodbye for me to go to the Met like she's not like oh my god is it this a Met? which is kind of nice and I think it kind of keeps me you know my feet on the ground and when I get home from winning an Emmy she's like don't forget to take out the recycling I think it's those things that I think are really helpful because uh, she's so laid back about it all and also too I think she and I both have seen the white guy behind the curtain who's pulling all the strings and right. making the wizard talk so I think for us we know what it is but we still try to make sure we're enjoying it and, and feeling the blessings that this life is because that's what it is it's a huge blessing and I know how many people you know wish that they could sort of walk in my shoes but if they got in these J's they would realize oh it ain't all cracked up to be but I think um, that's a big reason why it, I think we have a, this really nice synergy because there's no weirdness there's no insecurities on her end like we just we just sort of go about our lives and we just want to make we just really want to make dope shit and the process to doing that is very difficult and so I'm glad we have each other to lean on.
0: That's amazing. I think there's a there's a lot of similarities in my relationship because she keeps me grounded. Mhm. Right? Yeah. And I think you've seen it too in your profession where success can like make you spin off the front of Oh my planet. god, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you brought up something I thought was interesting was fame.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think you're using it for the power of good.
1: Try to, yeah.
0: But how do you wrestle with that? Because now you are an iconic figure to so many people. Mm-hmm. Were you ready for the baggage that comes along with it?
1: No. Mm -mm, Not at all. I think also because I did not set out to be as public as I am. Uh, I, you know, wanted to be a television writer. That was it. You know, I wanted to have a show. I wanted to be uh, very much, you know, behind the scenes. And then Allison Jones and Aziz, you know, thought otherwise. And uh, and Alan as well uh, thought otherwise. And then... And then Steven Spielberg thought otherwise. So there have been uh, sort of Justin Simeon, who's who's always wanted my—who created uh, Dear White People, who's been my best friend for as long as I can remember, who's always always wanted wanted me to be in front of the camera. But I never really got it. I never was like, no, that's just—I don't know. That's not me. Um, And then, you know, Master of None happened, and my whole life changed. And— and um, and I and I actually started to feel very comfortable in that role in terms of being an actor, but being a part of something. And then I think when the Thanksgiving episode happened in season two, then there was a I think a real big shift. I think once that happened, and, then, and also the the Emmy happened, which I think for a lot of people was like really exciting and cool. But I think the difference was for me, I didn't just win an Emmy, but I was a a first. I was a first black I think person as well as a first black woman to ever win in that category. So that kind of added. A a bunch of stuff and and um and it's weird like me genuinely just being myself has kind of created this um firestorm around me in the best possible way but I think the odd thing is it's just because there are not a lot of out black Young people in the public eye, you know, I'm really grateful for Janelle coming through. You got Titus, you got, um, you know, Frank Ocean. Who I know he's sort of in the background a little bit now, but I think it's there's just so few of us that people are fascinated by us. We're like these unicorns, and my hope is that we won't be. But I definitely think that kind of goes with the church, and obviously with the Met. You know, me sort of making a bit of a statement with what I was wearing in terms of the community and being visible, and and I think there's just I think I'm just. I'm I'm unique in that way because very few people want to be out, but I'm definitely not unique because I'm black and because I'm queer and, and because I'm a woman or because I'm even a soft stud. That exists in the world, but there are very few of us that are, say, on the cover of Vanity Fair. And so I think that's the way I've opened my eyes to. That it's not so much about me, even though I'm very flattered that people, you know, take to me and they like me and they say kind things and they send me a lot of love and good vibes, but I think it's less about me specifically and more about what I represent. So I try to really represent my community as best I can. But even still, that can be dangerous because at the end of the day, I'm still a human being. I still, I'm going to fall. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to uh, have make some missteps. And I just hope that people rock with me, you know, even when that happens. Because what, what, I think when you get to this space, and I think Donald Glover can understand that too. There's this weird thing of, yeah, you're it. You're that thing for us. Like, don't, don't, don't fuck it up. And I think, but then when you fuck up, then all of a sudden— it becomes a whole different, you know, firestorm, which is is never fun. But I think that also just goes with the, with the dinner. And how do you explain that without
0: rationalizing? Because I make—that's how I learn. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes. Oh, yeah. I fuck up in public ways. Mm-hmm. And I wrestle through it because my goal is to be a better person, the yep. best person possible. And oftentimes I won't see a viewpoint unless I go through some kind of agony. Oh, yeah. And I found it when you had said that before in a, a recent interview that you've done. I was like, wow. Her viewpoints are, like, very much aligned in how I want to be as, like— I don't want to represent, like, Asian people. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. more or less, I think I'm trying to. Not trying to. I'm in a weird place because I don't never you don't have a choice. It. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. It's like, you don't know, have— Because it's a thing that— people the Asian community may put on you because there's such there's such little representation like even like for example Master of None we feel very proud of the show I think it's really dope but there's also an element where like seriously like Asian people come up to me so much like I've never had this many Asians come up to me like because (laughs) because of like what that show means to them Um, and because it's just very few shows I think they can look to to say yeah that's that's more realistic or that's what it is it's not like all tied up in you know our race or our identity or this or that and even though yes aziz and Alan kind of got into look with the parents episode they kind of went into their own experience um, about being first generations but but I think for the most part it's just you know they happen to be Asian like they're just living their lives and so I think that and that for some for that community is like unlike unheard of and so I think that's why there's so much attention being paid or so much attention being paid to you because they you 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 create the heroes in which you you desire and so sometimes times that they'll people will the community will put a cape on you uh, when you're not looking
0: right do you feel though now that you have the success that it's harder to be as creative as you were?
1: i find this yeah. in cooks
0: as well like a lot of people don't like talking about it to uh-huh. anyone that does anything creative i said about it i've spoken about in the past that there's a moment where you're at your peak
1: Mm-hmm. That's and then
0: People like to extend that as long as possible, yep. but you cannot divide, deny the fact that the, you're, there's going to be a moment where you're at your height of your powers. Yes, that's true. And I'm not saying going past that's bad. No. But I found that it's some kind of graph axis where it's like life experience, wisdom versus creativity, and at some point— there's diminishing returns. That's right, and that's when I think you're better off as a teacher or a producer mm, to the next
1: generation. That's true. You know, you make you make so much sense there because if you think about it, it makes me immediately go to Whitney Houston with the Bodyguard soundtrack. She was never better than that. Um, Michael Jackson Thriller. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know, or Lauryn Hill Miss Education. It's like, and, and it's like, it's like after that, they never did anything that. Would, it, it's argue, it's it's arguable but if you really put it up they, they didn't do anything as great as that so it's almost like in that moment you're so happy you're so right. amazing but then it's also like you know it's so funny because I was in a Whitney Houston hole which I usually am I was watching a lot of Whitney Houston uh, because I got an early look at this new documentary about her but it's like I was watching an interview and she had just won like so many Grammys for the Bodyguard and the, the Entertainment Tonight I asked her I was like what do you do after this and she was like I don't know where do you go well, I don't know she's like this is it and, then she, and she doesn't know in that moment but in that it's like that was it for her. So it's like a big thing for me is to make sure that whatever that thing is that people associate with me with isn't it. <laughs> it's like, right, right. Because a big thing for me, I have to be bigger than an episode of television. I cannot. That can't just be how people view me. That may have be how they view me now. Um, That's why I didn't want to bring up the Thanksgiving. No, it's all good because it's like
0: I don't want you or anyone to be typecast for one thing that they've done because right. like you have done. You you are so prolific already. And I think that Thanksgiving Day episode, like, overshadows a lot of the other incredibly meaningful stuff you've done.
1: Right. And the big thing for me is I never—I don't ever want to, you know, push it away either. You know, I embrace what it means and, and, and what it means to so many people. Because um, it's, it's your pork bun. I, I, <laughs> 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 you know what? And I'm very proud of that. Thank God. That's the beginning, okay? Uh, it's the foundation. But I think for me, you know, and also, too, with the shy. Like, I have to be bigger. I want to create other things other than—or I want to be more than just the girl who writes about her city. You know what so it's like I, or, or just the the girl the black girl and the ready player I want like it's like I always am trying to you know not outdo myself or or quote unquote beat myself at whatever the last thing I did I just want to always continue to create things that challenge me and that excite me and I've got some stuff up my sleeve that people are really going to be surprised by like I wrote a feature that's sort of like a bit of a, a black Bonnie and Clyde that I'm, I'm trying to do with Melina Masoukis who obviously directed the Thanksgiving episode as well that's the other thing like that relationship that was born out of that um, is very is going to always is going to live you you know, for the rest of my life and the rest of my career. So we're trying to do a feature that people just aren't even ready for what I'm about to bring. I got some other, you know, I got some other TV shows I'm trying to get popping. Um, so I just, to me, I'm just always like, I always say, and this is, I know I'm not the best reference because people are mad at him, but I always say, I always want to feel like Kanye West before College Dropout came out because there's a part of him that he's like, yeah, y'all know I'm dope because I make beats and shit, but he was literally in his mind he's like, y'all have no idea. He's like, y'all don't even know. Like College Dropout ain't even like, it hasn't even touched your ears yet, and I want to fuck y'all up. And I think to me, it's like same thing with Michael. Before he put out Thriller, he was like, you had people thought he had. I mean, he had already had a huge career, but he was like, but y'all ain't ready for Thriller. I'm always chasing Thriller. I'm always like, what's my, what's that thing that I haven't done yet? But I want to always be chasing it. But look, you can't help it. Sometimes stuff comes out and it really hits, you know. But it's like you look at Jordan Peele. On one hand, it's like great. Get Out came out and everything's great. But now it's like, but he has to make another movie after that. You know what I mean? So it's almost like shit. Like I'm happy that that thing hit a nerve in such a great way, but I have to follow it up, and that is. That's the place in which I think we all live. It's like always trying to, it like after that big success and right before, it's the, it's the sophomore album jinx. You know what I'm saying? But Do you think
0: that maybe the difficulty is because we're always trying to outdo our past, and maybe we should just be in the present?
1: Yeah, I try. I think you're absolutely right. I think for me, I'm always trying to be in the present. You know, because once I'm done with a thing, I'm done with it. That's the funny thing. Like, once I was done with Thanksgiving, like, I kind of let it go. Like, once all the, the tweets started to pop up and the, the 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 reviews, like, or even, like, with Ready Player One, like, when I rapped on that movie, I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. Just because we have no control over how people receive our art.
0: Right. We just don't. And how know? do you feel about that? Because I I, I'm wrestling through this with just food in general mm-hmm. because I don't want to tell someone how they should feel. That's right. Because you true. can't. No. But yeah. when it's misinterpreted, like, the feeling you said about Kanye before College Dropout, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I can sense that you sort of feel the same thing too. There's a, there's almost this like delusional sense of um, the sense best is like, yet to come. Yeah, and that like invincibility. Oh yeah, right. And yeah. that's that can be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when it doesn't work, as, mm-hmm. that's like as high as that high can feel like it can be oh, incredibly low. Too. I'm sure
1: it's heartbreaking, and it's, and, it's, and I haven't necessarily gone through that experience yet. You know, um, I'm sure I will. You know, I always think about, it makes me think about Oprah and Beloved um, because she, it was such a passion project. She poured everything into it and it came out, it did not do as well as she would have liked and it's interesting because she's talked about this publicly. She said, she's like, I never want to make another, she said, I don't want to make another movie ever again um, because that because that movie meant so much to her and it didn't like blow up and I think for me, I don't ever want to be in that space because I have to, I have to love the thing I'm putting out. If I love it, like like if you give me if it tastes good to you, it may not taste. Our our, right. our palates may be different, but if you fucking love it, then you got to you got to stand on that. It, and I think to me, I think if if we can do that, if we can love the thing, if we can feel really good about it, we put it out, we ain't gonna care because then what's gonna happen is it's almost like maybe Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like when it first came out, people were like, "This is ridiculous," but then. <laughs> somewhere down the line people found it and was like maybe not there's something about this that's actually kind of cool and then obviously now it has a whole life that they the, I'm sure the filmmakers would have never expected but I think that's that to me is the is the is the magic it's like if you really love a thing then you can stand next to it how people receive it and even who cares even though mm-hmm. we do but I think the person that has to love it the most is us
0: right and now a quick break to hear from our sponsor Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is a challenge I would know. We're constantly in need of great cooks and servers and managers at restaurants of all shapes and sizes. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. C-H-A-N-G. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. The Dave Chang Show is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, But there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets I can be anywhere and with just a few taps I can instantly find seats I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to the LAFC game this Saturday SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experiences easier than ever SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seat that fits your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CHANG today. That's promo code CHANG, C-H-A-N-G, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. And now back to our show. In terms of new projects mm-hmm. and new, new ideas that you're working through... Yeah you still have to pitch these to studios. And how does this work now, considering that you are at a different place than you were, say, five, six years ago when right. you pitched The shy?
1: Well, the rooms are warmer now. Uh, yeah, because when you walk in, there's this element of, because I think now, and look, we, this is a business of heat seekers. I, I think your business is sort of similar as well. There's always a new restaurant. There's always a new chef everybody's talking about. But I think is it, no different. Like, there's always like, oh, this is the new hot, shiny toy that everybody wants to play with. So when I walk into our room, there's this element of like, yeah, we want to be on the bandwagon. Like, we want to be a part. We want to be in the they always say the leaner weight business, so to speak. So, I, what I like to do is to not take that for granted and to make sure what I'm not going to walk in there with something that's just okay. Because you know the, the iron's hot. I want to walk in there with something that I think is undeniable and phenomenal, and I will go to my grave trying to make it happen. So that way, they're getting the best of me rather than just oh, isn't this cool? Because you know I'm gonna come up with something because y'all are like really hot on me right now. And I think that's how I maintain my reputation is that if she brings something in, it's going to be haunting, it's going to be interesting, it's going to be. Fascinating is going to be entertaining. So, so that's the biggest difference is the warmth of the room when I walk in and uh, the immediacy if I want to get a meeting. Um, but, but I'm also not naive. I know that this is a. It's all about commerce and it's all about you know we want to invest in in, in this thing because it's a hot stock at the moment. Um, so, but but also too, it's like you know I'm I'm always. Inspired. I'm. I'm always looking. I'm always thinking. I'm always. And now that there's a really great collective of artists, like I'm. All, I, I'm talking to Ryan Coogler about something. I'm talking to you know me and Donald just have very deep conversations. We don't even talk about like you know collaborating or a business. I know a lot of people have been trying to get us to do that, but when we talk, it's just always about you know deep shit and like how we're feeling and how we're receiving things. But um but I'm always talking to different Issa, uh, talking to Issa, talking to all these different people and we're always trying to figure out what that next thing is that'll that'll really hit the audience in a way that they aren't expecting. Um so for me I'm never without a story when they're never without an idea. Never there's never, never something I'm not working on. Um like the Mary Teller Moore thing I mentioned that like I was like I'm obsessed with Mary Teller Moore. I love the show. That's, I think it's a perfect, you know, sitcom and I mentioned like somebody said hey what are you thinking of or what what would what's the project you want to do that people might be surprised by and I said I want to do a Mary Taylor Moore biopic um, because how often do you see a black person doing a biopic that's not another black person um, not that I don't love my black people I want to do a Baldwin biopic as well but um, like I I'm, Mary Taylor Moore had just as much of an impact on me as, as James Baldwin just the way Judy Garland had as much of an impact on me as Whitney Houston so I'm very much you know inspired by a lot of different worlds and different people and different things and I want to be able to express that um, and even though, as a gay writer, like the Bonnie and Clyde story I'm trying to write is not a homosexual story. Even though people may expect that of me, they may say, yeah, do like a lesbian love story. But I'm like, yeah, I will eventually. But this is what, what was on my heart at the time. And so this is how I'm choosing to tell this story. And... um even like with The shy, there's some people that were surprised, huh, one of the lead characters isn't gay. And I'm like, no, but one of the the boys, his mothers are. You know, it's like I don't have to—everything doesn't have to be just exactly of what I am. Um, and I think that's a big hurdle, I too. I think it was
0: more powerful that you did not make a archetype gay character in The shy. Right. And for me, the most powerful moment were when the kids were in the supermarket and they were like, hey— uh, How's that work with your mom? Right. And he was just like, cool. He was like, it is what it is, man. Exactly. And like the fact that you didn't make a big deal out of it to me was like, the best way to talk about
1: it. Exactly. And a lot of people, I think, may expect us to, like, have a whole conversation. I've, even in the second season, we're, we're literally in the room right now. When I leave here, I'm going to the writer's room. But I'm always pushing against that because I think that's the, that's the expected thing. So I'm always, like, what we get a lot of credit for is, do like, when people expect, oh, this is going to happen, we go the opposite way. So I want to keep that momentum going. I want to keep keeping people guessing but also showing people what it means to be, you know, black in and, and Chicago and in this day and age and all that that entails.
0: I mean, you mentioned your peer group, um, mm-hmm. and it's been long overdue to have African American representation that you have in Hollywood now. Mm-hmm. And um, from Jordan to Ryan, mm-hmm. and all the amazing things that are happening. Issa, I mean, right. they're more than on a first name basis now. Oh yeah, that's, that's what's wild. To yeah, me. yeah. And um, you're also representing LGBT yeah. uh, in like culture and 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 it's amazing to me that you are now creating not just your own reflection, but like the best reflection for the world to see. Um, and mm. that's a powerful thing. Absolutely. And I was speaking to my, my friend, Steve Stout and, mm. and I was like, Steve, like, I think he was instrumental in, in helping, uh, honestly, probably like white America understand the marketability of African American hip hop culture. Yeah, and like, it's like not only shit, sh- this shit sells, but like, mm-hmm. This is culture. Yeah, it moves in needle <laughs> for Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I was like, when I when I look at what your peer group is doing and how you guys have opened doors for yourselves, you haven't—no one's opened it for right, you. Right, no. We have You've to done of, it yourselves.
1: Yeah, we've had to kick them down. And we've also had to be exceptional as well. Um, what advice can you give to anyone? Because— I think that solidarity mm-hmm. that you have is right. such a powerful
0: thing. Yeah. Because you cannot do this by yourself.
1: That's true. And I also think it's generational. I think not to, you know, forsake the generation before us, because they obviously that's the generation we look to and, you know, wanted to be like and we were inspired by. But I think the I think there was a lack of solidarity with the generation before us because and not and not I think for any of their own, I think, because there were so few spots, and it was like, okay, it was Holly now, okay, now it's Vivica, okay, wait, now it's you know, what I'm saying they they kind of had to take turns, and I think what we've learned, you know, just because we're all you know around the same age and we're all putting stuff out at the same time, it just it it really is a renaissance, and I think and and we are sort of taking a page out of you know the books of Baldwin and Zora Nohurston Hurston and Lorraine Hansberry and, and, and Langston Hughes because they were all huddled in the, in, the in, a, in a corner and like showing each other their stuff and saying, hey, can you read this? Hey, what are your thoughts on this? And I think we're sort of starting to do the same thing or trying to. I think we could we could even be even better at it, I'll be honest. Um, we could collaborate more, we could lean on each other more. The tough thing is we're just all very busy and stuck in our caves trying to get, you know, make deadlines. But uh, but I think the advice I would honestly give to people of color who want anybody a person of color who wants to do something creative is just to be exceptional, honestly. And I know that is it seems like very simple advice but I mean it in every sense of the word it's like you have to be the LeBron or whatever the fuck it is you're doing you know what I'm saying it's like you have to jump off the cliff and you have to take and you're gonna fall you're gonna hit, hit bruises you're gonna whatever but eventually you're gonna get the bottom and you're gonna stand up but there are very few people that are you know afraid of the bruises and the cuts and like well, what if I don't have a job or what if I fail what da da da, da 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 those people aren't gonna be icons like icons don't think like that and you know icons think like who gives a fuck if I fail who gives a fuck if people don't like it? Who gives a shit? Like if you think about all those people, whether it be like Prince, Madonna, Jordan, like all these people that we know, you know, like they don't, they didn't give a shit. They were gonna, they were gonna, you know, give their whole body to it, you know, and 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 in hopes that it would work. And you know, and there's a fear as people say, well, what if I give my whole everything to it and it doesn't work? Well, you know what? You'll never know. You're
0: gonna be dead one day.
1: Yeah. So right. like you might as well just fucking, you know, give it all you got cuz I know I'm still giving it all I got. It's like for people that's trying to come in now, yeah, I, we, yeah, we I am your competition. If you going to come, you got to run faster and harder than me cuz I you know, it's like I want to share it. I'm definitely down to be like, "Yeah, let's get come into the group." But for example, like at the Met, you know, it's very kind of, it kind of almost like, it's almost like they create this sort of class of people of like, okay, you must have had a great year if you're here, you know what I mean? But it's like, I looked at all the black folks, it was like the whole cast of Black Panther, it was Issa, it was Donald, it was myself, um, Diddy was there, all these people. And it's like, for people that say, I want to be in that sandbox, okay, you got to pay the cost to do so. Right. Because everybody that's up in this motherfucker, Janelle, Tessa, you know, like, we... You know, we paid the cost to be there. You know, so it's like I'm all about embracing somebody. And the cost is all in. Oh, it's all fucking in. Either all one. in. All in. And that's where there's a level of relatability that we all have because we know what it's like. And I feel related. Like absolutely.
0: I, I, everything you're saying is like a more articulate version than
1: I thought. It's <laughs> <laughs> <No, no. laughs> cooler? But, but it's like you don't, you don't, you don't get to be who you are and where you are without giving it everything you fucking have.
0: So food. Is been something that I see constantly in stuff that you're working on, right? Mm-hmm, Particularly yeah. in the shine, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's a very powerful series, Thank right? You. And uh, you know, the lead character is a chef, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to talk too much about it. You guys should watch it. How did you get all the info about cooking and restaurants and catering?
1: Um yeah, well a little bit was me being a bit of a food doc or, you know, like watching a bunch of documentaries and like um and just also watching shows and stuff like that. I got into your show as well on, on all that came out after I was done. <laughs> but but um but I've uh and also too, I watch Top Chef like everybody, you know what I'm saying? Like but there are certain things, um that and also Chef's Table was really inspirational too. Like that really because that's a big place where I start with characters, like what they do for a living. It's just it's I know it's like a weird thing, but for me, it tells me everything I need to know about the, the character. So I knew I wanted Brandon to be a chef, and uh, and and I just really started you know watching, researching, like paying attention when I'm at different restaurants, and but also just realizing how similar the journey is, and how much you have to, how much shit you got to eat, and how much you have to go through, and you know, um, and and also. Two, just the element of mastering a thing, working on a thing, and how how much you have to sacrifice above all else, which I thought would also create really good conflict for this character, because you know, even the fact after if if you a lot of people have seen the pilot, so it's okay that I'm kind of giving this away, but he has a he has a, a, a very. A horrific thing happens, and he loses, you know, his brother, and he has to go to funeral. But he and he, but he also has an opportunity to work the line. So, the fact that I, I was like, I looking at these chefs and seeing what I'm seeing, these motherfuckers will go, you know, and try to get that opportunity because it's just it's do or die. And and for a lot of people who don't understand the restaurant world, some people were like, I can't believe he did that. Some people were like, Wow, that's very inspirational that he would like go do that because he's that driven. But the truth is, is like it's like chefs are also like comics. Like you can't ever say I'm not going up. Right. You know what I'm saying? You kind of have to go. Short up, and I thought it was a really important career for this young African American male to have to see that level of drive and that level of commitment. Um, and I also think this sort of colored him in a very unique way. But the big, the big thing was just watching tons of like, do, like food documentaries about chefs and, and, and different shows, and and seeing how obsessed they right. are. I think that was the biggest thing was obsession. That's what I took away from it.
0: I, I, I genuinely thought Brendan was the not only is a chef that I, because I'm always going to follow stuff like that. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, you made a character that is not perfect, Mm -hmm. but he sort of has a perfect moral backbone. Yeah. Yeah. And presented in ridiculously stressful situations time and time again. I can't, you you just don't, for myself, I don't finish that series without thinking like, that's a, this guy's amazing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's why I think it's an important show for me. Listen, like, I have some African-American friends, but it's like I don't know what it's like to live in Chicago in that neighborhood. Right. It's very specific. And this is the best way for me to sort of see it. And I think that what you've done is to take characters and you're representing probably like very real things that have happened to you. And you're being the best storyteller possible. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think people should watch like great TV like this. No, and I'm yeah. not blowing smoke up your ass. I was like, man, like it's hard to watch at times, mainly because yeah. you're like – I can imagine this happening to a real person being in a really shitty situation and – no one else gives a fuck,
1: right? Absolutely, and also a big thing I picked up on from the chef documentaries was like the shitty boss, like you know right. that that they all have. And but at the same time, you kind of learn a little bit something from them. But we're going to get more into that season two because what I wanted to do, we didn't really have the real estate. But what I wanted to do, well, we we kind of did the thing that I, I peeped a lot of, which was the asshole boss. And then in season two, what we're trying to get into was a boss that actually teaches him to figure out what his story is to incorporate that into his food, so he's not just making shit, but it's more about somebody actually telling him like well wh- why did you make this like don't just tell me what's in it but like I, why did I you do it and i was thinking
0: about this too the chef without revealing too much mm-hmm. brandon's chef boss I was really debating internally: Is like, is he an asshole, or is he doing what he
1: needs to do? You know what? And it's it's both. And I, I say asshole just because of what? Because I was I've like, I'm, an, I'm definitely of, an asshole. Well, no, there. look. I, what I hear from <laughs> chefs is that like, look, this person was like, a, like the devil, like himself in the kitchen, and it was like horrendous. And I've heard a lot of horror stories. Um, and somebody could, you know, it's arguable. Somebody could say, well, you need that. Yeah, you need that person to sort of be the like, crack the whip and be like that, so that way you learn to never do it wrong ever again. Or people say that's why I chop I chop onions. So fast now because the chef threw a knife at me when right. I got it wrong, whatever. But then there's also I think that you can have both where there's a chef that's like, yeah, doing what you gotta do because running the kitchen is not easy but there's also a way you can also encourage and have a little yeah. bit of bedside manner. But I also know that that's very far and few in between. But, you know, it um, is what it is.
0: And there's another scene that I thought was incredibly powerful because it's it's a tiny scene but I think it really encapsulates like, I think your understanding of where food is today. Mm-hmm. is when. Um, one of the characters almost gets arrested for, like, walking away from the cops. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a relatively small thing, but I was like, man, like, I don't think in any other TV series in the history of the world would that ever be as resonant as it is today Yeah, when he explains, no, I work at this restaurant. Yes,
1: that's why I'm carrying and his knives.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And the fact that, like, that's how important food is today.
1: Absolutely. That it can actually... He's like, give me a reservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, and also, too, it's like, I think, well, also, too, Chicago, because I'll admit, Chicago is a bit of a foodie town, so we, we, um, I think we can tend to be, I think we're like a little bit New Yorkers, so we can be a little bit snobby about it, but but I think there's that, that's a part of the culture there. You know, I, we do taste of Chicago, you know what I mean? I mean, we're very invested in... Um, you know small restaurants you know big ones like you know we definitely get behind chefs a lot of chefs come to Chicago to kind of learn and grow so it's very important I think it's particularly to the city and um, we want to venture into Taste of Chicago next season as well like food is just, its just its what I kind of found is that I think it's a big part of me because I think it's such a big part of Chicago and so and I didn't realize that until I started right. writing and, and even when I watch documentaries a lot of them obviously 42 Grams that's in Chicago you know there's a lot of chefs that are there trying to just make a, trying to make a name for themselves so I was there.
0: One more thing mm-hmm. before I let you go, yeah. and I, my favorite character on The Shy is the Kid Papa.
1: Oh yes, <laughs>
0: love him. Oh uh, man, like is he based on someone that's real? Because like,
1: man, like chubby, chubby kid. I was like, man, like ah, is that me? Ah, like, I was in a the black team. little version of you. I mean, you know what's <laughs> interesting? Like he is a combination of like kids I grew up with and there's a little bit of me in him you know what I'm saying um, but I, I and it's funny because I knew I wanted I, I just wrote him chubby I was like I want him to be like a big kid I don't know why I did that but I just for some reason that's how I wrote it in but the he's hilarious lines. he's hilarious and so obviously you know and because because they're kids we had to have local kids so, he, so he's a Chicago born and bred little chubby black boy and they really did the casting in Chicago is so phenomenal they do such a great job with finding us local actors people always talk to me about him they they, they think he's a star and I, I knew he was a star the second I, he opened his mouth and the second I laid eyes on him and I just I can't wait to watch him grow up and become a young man in
0: in your opinion that character Pampa, right mm-hmm. so without talking so much about the shy because I, I want people to watch it if they haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. um, where does that character wind up in your opinion in like 20 years
1: mm, that's a great question and I think that to me is a big uh, theme of our show is that people always see what these kids are you know when they're grown and they kind of judge them but to me what we really want to do with the kids was to show you how these stories begin like this you know you look at Jake who has an older brother Reg who's like you know out there in the streets you got Kevin who has like two moms at home and an older sister and he kind of can go either way because he kind of got caught up because of a thing he witnessed and then obviously you have Papa who's sort of very much in the outskirts and in a religious household and you know is hanging out with Jake and Kevin and trying to figure out who we wants to be so th- they could go anywhere you know what I mean it's like um but the truth is is like you never know because Papa could wind up getting in the wrong crowd and you know kind of forget like hey I don't want to be super religious anymore or you know he could fuck around and turn 12 and lose a baby fat and like get cute and then all of a sudden like you know start hollering at girls maybe he gets a girl pregnant at 16 he has to get a job and do this. you never fucking know and I think that's what's so exciting about this show about these characters uh because anything could happen
0: the real shit, oh, shit. Uh, Well thank you for coming on Lena. Thanks man hey, this has been this such is a, a great, wonderful conversation It's a great day to start my day Thank you so much and good luck with everything
1: Thanks brother I appreciate it right. you too
0: <laughs> Well that's it uh, The great Lena Waith And I can't tell you how inspiring This conversation's been uh, Hope to have her back uh, Very soon so uh, Thanks for listening to this pod and check out everything Lena does and talk to you guys Next week